0: Good morning, and welcome in to the Daring Safety Podcast for Saturday, October the 17th, and it's 2015. I'm Jay, and I hope you've had a, a good start to your weekend. Um, it's certainly Fridays are interesting, and certainly Friday nights are always interesting in emergency services because, well, you um, People tend to, shall we say, sometimes imbibe too many spirits and therefore uh, become a little bit unwieldy. And of course, it's sad, but, but lives are lost on, on Fridays and Saturdays uh, due to, for example, drunk driving and those sorts of things. Um, of course, this podcast isn't about drunk driving, although firefighters and Police and EMS have been the victims of of drunk drivers. But, being that our name is Daring Safety, I thought today we would start off with uh, just a couple of facts, okay? There's a saying, um, in fact there's a website called Everyone Goes Home, and it's a really great thing. And it, it talks about safety, and it talks about, it goes against this whole duty to die thing that... that some firefighters have and it's it's just a great you know it's a great program but the fact is not everyone goes home and the goal is to get that down to zero and so far in 2015 70 firefighters have uh died in the line of duty and that that's 70 people who have died in the line of duty 70 firefighters across the united states when we start looking if we if we bring in every every firefighter around the world of course the number drop i mean the number excuse me jumps doesn't drop the number jumps and so the question is always asked you know how can we continue to reduce the numbers and to me the big answer on reducing the number of firefighter deaths is knowledge of the job you know you can you can have the best personal protective equipment you can have brand new fire apparatus you can have um you know physically fit firefighters who aren't necessarily gonna you know go into to Suffer from cardiac problems and, and all the sorts of things that firefighters do suffer from cancer, all those sorts of things. But from reading countless, uh, you know, a line of du- death, uh, line of duty, death reports, and from uh, my own experience, talking with people and looking at things, I really believe that that education um, that Knowing your job is the key to going home. And the reason that I say that is if you go back and you look at multiple line of duty deaths, in some cases, you have people who were barely trained. And, and, you know, I don't even like the word training because, uh, you know, I, in my opinion it's it's all about education. It's all about knowledge and training uh, there's there's some negative connotations that have been associated with training and and so I prefer to use the term education or knowledge of the job and so you know, what's knowledge of the job? Well, it starts out with the very basics uh you know. Where did you go to the fire academy? How long? What subjects were touched on? Uh, Do they dumb it down so that they can appeal to the lowest common denominator? Um, You know, how much of a challenge is it? We know of places who their goal seems to be to pass as many people as they can because they need them. And so how do you arrive? And, And by the way, I don't have the answer to this. But how do you arrive at a place where you are challenging everyone who's coming into the fire service? And you're challenging their ability to retain information. Because now more than ever, you know, it used to be said, and I know it was said many, many times, you know, firefighter's hard from the neck down. In other words, I want a firefighter, I need a guy, I need a warm body, Okay. And for some people, that still stands. But that that approach will kill you, or it will kill someone else, or it's going to cause you to be injured. And workman's comp costs are going to go through the roof, and you know jobs are going to be lost, lives are going to be ruined, citizens are not going to be protected. So what's the key? Knowledge of the job. And so it begins... With you know, it begins at the beginning, but what else can happen? Well, a lot of people continue to learn. A lot of people go and they get certified and things. Um, I know a guy who, who was teaching before he even knew the job. I mean, he really was, he was teaching classes and he didn't really know the job. That's how desperate, um, You know, that's how desperate things can get for for people, because a lot of people aren't interested in teaching. And so a lot, especially in the past, but even now, a lot is focused on getting a certification, you know, as opposed to teaching somebody. And so there is no one pill will cure all this. That's not the case. There has to be a challenge presented to uh, would-be firefighters and to current firefighters. You have to challenge firefighters. You have to challenge EMS. You have to challenge law enforcement. But certainly, and without question, the individual is at the end of the day responsible for their education in the fire service. If you are merely biding time. And if you just know, uh, you know, you know the bare basics and nothing else, and you think, hey, you know what, I can get through my whole career with this. You might. But I'll bet you that the people around you won't. I'll bet you that some will leave after five or six years because they look at it and they go, gosh, there's no challenge here. Some will leave, uh, unfortunately, because they've developed, health issues or they've been injured on the fire ground and the sad reality is is that in some cases because people didn't know their jobs they didn't know you know okay i i mean this is serious when you talk to someone and they tell you they're on a truck company and you're talking to them and you ask them hey you know um how do you guys vent oh man we vent everywhere really what exactly does that mean? What does it mean? now there are there are people out there who do an outstanding job and we have to acknowledge those people. you know I mean we do and by and large, I think that that most fire departments um, or at least yeah the majority of fire departments really want to do things the right way. Nobody goes in wanting anyone to die on the job. And, and sometimes you're just overwhelmed. But I'll tell you this. Um, I know people who've been put in positions of, of tremendous responsibility. And knowledge is not always attendance. So, for example... Let's say you go to every class you can. Let's say you go to every expo and, and every conference and all this other stuff. And let's say that sometimes you even present at a conference. It still doesn't mean that you have knowledge of the job. I recall um, talking to uh, the training officer at one fire department and it's a really good fire department, by the way. They really are. Um, and and I just asked him. We were talking about pumping, and I asked him. I said, "Hey, I said, you know, how do you guys drop prime? You know, because I was looking at these the new apparatus they just got in." And uh, <laughs> he looked at me like like I was a ghost. He said, "What?" I said, "Well, how do you drop prime?" And uh, he said, "Well." We prime our trucks. I mean, we got a primer. I'm like, okay, I said, but what happens if the primer breaks? What happens if it doesn't work? He said, we call another engine in. Hmm. Okay. So we kind of went through drop priming. And by the way, I'm not singing my praises. Actually, I'm singing his praises. And the reason I say that is, is because I mentioned it to him, and he didn't get offended. And I think that's a big thing. I really do. And I think there have been so many leaps and bounds. And by the way, this fire department that I'm talking about and this training officer who is now a fire chief, um, among the best trained in the country, in my opinion, they are. But what I'm saying is you can go to tons of conferences. You can be certified in 368 different fields. And... There are still things that you won't know. And sometimes you won't know the very basics. And so knowledge of the job is vital for safety on the fire ground because it's such a dynamic environment. And we all know, we all know that most people have no clue, and I'm talking about the public, they have no clue about just how difficult firefighting can be. Most people look at it. and I mean, I've had guys tell me, "Oh, I volunteered when I was 17 or 18. Yeah, I know. It. I'm, it's not that big a deal, and maybe it wasn't a big deal then to them. But that tells me that you know what? They really didn't. They didn't get into it. People don't understand that that you know, you need to have an understanding of hydraulics. You need to have an understanding that physics is a big thing. You know, heat transfer. Um, All these things, people just think you show up and throw water on the fire. Why? Because that's what people see. And the fire service has done a horrible job, in my opinion, as a whole, of telling people, you know what? No. You know, law enforcement's not just showing up and putting cuffs on a guy. Okay? And firefighting is not just showing up and dumping water on a building. Although sometimes, let's face it, that's what you do, right? But... There's so much more that goes into it. And, and so I think that's something that, that we again need to work on. But in working on it, we have to make sure that firefighters understand what they're talking about. And that no matter how many certifications they have, no matter how many degrees they have, uh, no matter what position of authority they're in, you know, to me, you have to test the knowledge of the job if you want. Success, and you know, one of the things that that I've seen over the past ten years, and I, I have, I've been a very strong advocate for uh, for them as women in the fire service, and and to me, there's no debate. Although um, there still seems to be, you know, I, I've I've heard and still hear far too many people who say, you know what, women don't belong in a fire station. And I always remind them that here's the problem with that kind of approach. Okay, there used to be a time when people said African Americans didn't belong in a fire station, and then eventually said, "Well, yeah, it's okay." And then eventually, you know, they it, it, this became that, and that became this, and so it's it's fairly accepted now, right? And and it's sad that I say it's fairly accepted. Because it, it should be a non-issue. We have to judge people based on the individual, not based on anything else. And I think with women, you have to do the same thing, okay? There are lots of women out there who understand and know the job as well or better than any man. And, and you know, I always hear, um, I was talking with someone the other day, uh, day before yesterday. And, and they said, you know, I don't like women in the fire service because they're not strong, and I mentioned to him I said really I said well there are women out there who are stronger than men I said but you know if you not if you know leverage if you those types of things you would be surprised at how well women can do And you know we have made great strides with respect to women in the fire service there're female fire chiefs there're and, and some female fire chiefs aren't particularly liked. And I think part of that is because they're female. And then there are some who are just lousy. Just like there are some men who are lousy. Um, the problem is, is that women have to be great all the time. And so when you're, when you're a female firefighter or a, a female chief officer, it's not enough to be good. You have to be good all the time. And And why? Because if you're not... Well, guess what people are going to call the person out on it but point of fact who's good all the time none of us and so i guess to me the women in the fire service issue is a non-issue it's, there's no debate it's over you know it is and so even though we've made great strides in the acceptance and, and in all these things We have a long way to go. We do. We still have lots of room. And I just, I can't help but but think that, you know, women in the fire service, I'm not talking about women who can't do the job, okay? Because nobody gets more upset at women who can't do the job than women firefighters, okay? That's just a fact. And and I've known several good, really good female firefighters and fire chiefs, and I've known some who weren't. They sucked, uh, almost literally, in order to get the job. At least one that I know of. And I don't mean to be disparaging. But it's just a fact. It's what it, you know. It's what we all watched. But anyway, um, there's lots of room for improvement. And you know, again. I think you line everybody up, you blow the whistle, you let everyone run the race. And if the winner of the race is a woman, if the winner of the race is a a man, whoever wins the race, fair and square, from the same starting point, then that person's worthy. That's the way it goes, at least in my mind. You know, if you drive around... One of the things that I've been noticing a great deal, and all of us have, I'm sure, are lumber yards. And no, I'm not talking about actual lumber yards where you go in and purchase lumber. I'm talking about apartments that are basically large lumber yards. And it is without a doubt. These things are popping up everywhere and it's a challenge. It is. These things are huge challenges. Now, wherever you live, home builders have a huge input uh, with respect to codes and things like that. And, you know, the sad part of it all is that firefighters are rarely consulted. Okay, now you may have a fire marshal or fire inspector and, and somebody else who sits on a on a board somewhere and, and they're talking about these sorts of things. But I can tell you right now, um, they're outnumbered. And, and part of it is, you know, the homeowners associations, home builders, I should say, they, they have great lobbies and, and uh, you know, they do. They have a great lobby in, in Congress and in the individual states and counties and cities. And firefighters don't do such a good job with that you know, because uh, home builders will just say, well, we'll pass costs along to customers. And then, of course, customers freak out because, frankly, most people don't know when they're moving into a fire trap. They really don't. They don't understand that a lot of these things are being engineered to be built as cheaply as possible. And therefore, in a, in a fire or in some other catastrophic event, um, you know, there you have it. You'll have a collapse. And, and, and maybe everybody gets out during this collapse and that's great. And, and, you know, that's what insurance is for is what a lot of people also say. And so people go, you know, as long as we don't lose lives and all that, but I can tell you lives have already been lost in these things. These lumber yards are cheaply built and they're stacked. What do I mean by stacked? Well, you know, a two-story lumber yard is bad enough. But these things are, are a first-floor lumberyard. You go to the second floor, it's a lumberyard. Go to the third floor, it's a lumberyard. And often, these apartments and condominiums and things, they get variances from the codes. And so, what are firefighters left with? Well, you know, you better hope that you don't have to do a bunch of rescues. I mean, you do. You have to hope that you don't have to do a bunch of rescues because we all know that ingress and egress from one of these places uh, can be uh, quickly cut off um, by fire spreading rapidly, and especially in the middle of the night. You know, when when people are asleep and our reaction times are are uh, are retarded. And and I don't. I mean that in the sense of the word that our reaction time is slowed. So we have our, our brains are, are are not functioning the way they do in the middle of the day. Um, and, and very often, some of these lumber yards are for senior citizens. Now, I know all the the code junkies out there, or a lot of them will say, oh, but there's, you know, there's firewalls. and Yeah, I've, all of us have probably watched fires burn right through a one-hour firewall in about two and a half minutes. And, and it's because of the way the firewalls are constructed. It's because some people don't use intermessive material and all this other crap, right? I mean, there's tons of reasons why it doesn't work. The bottom line is a structure changes over time. A structure, when it's built, is not the same structure 10 years later. Okay, it's just not. And you know we're used to seeing structures that were built i'm going to just take one time period for instance let's say a structure that was built in say 1920 okay and and these structures if they're kept up they last a long time if if you've been in any historic city in the united states you will see structures that have been around for a very very long time and it's because they've been kept up. And, of course, now they're, they're historic, and you can't tear them down. You can't alter them or modify them in any way, shape, or form. But do any of us really believe, and, I mean, ask yourself this. Do you really believe that in a 100 years, these cheaply built stacked lumber yards are going to be something that's going to be standing around, and people are going to go, wow. Look how well they built that building. My answer to that is no, you won't see it. I mean, I don't think you will. Now, I won't be here a hundred years from now, but I think that, that in some cases, the owners and builders of this, it, and I'm not saying, I'm saying that in many ways, I think it's criminal, the, the way they construct these things. Not that they've necessarily broken any laws. Um, certainly, some have, but it it's criminal, and uh I know what people are gonna say, you know, that's what we have the fire department for, or you know, well, you know what, don't live in it. You're absolutely right and and that's easier said than done, and it's like all things when it comes to uh to the fire service. One, we don't prosecute arson nearly enough. We don't get convictions in, in arson cases. Number two, our codes, when enforced, you know, sometimes, and and I think that sometimes actually it's for some of us a lot. Um, you're not allowed to do your job. Why? Because so and so knows this guy who knows that woman who knows the mayor, or city councilman, or county councilman, or member of a district or whatever. And so, you know, and the public, most of the public, they don't care, okay? They just want a place to, to live. They want something cheap. And let's face it, um, people like window dressing, you know? I mean, they if you paint a turd, it's still a turd, but some people will buy it and say, that's a work of art. So, you know, I think with firefighters, that's one of the things that, that you really have to look out for, these lumber yards, and adjust, and adjust tactics accordingly. And, and frankly, have a plan if you want to go home and if you want to protect citizens from themselves. Um, in the last podcast, I talked about communications between agencies uh, in South Carolina and how well it worked, and I received some email. Uh, from people in other parts of the country who say, wow, that's great, but, you know, our communications suck. And so, you know, I think it it begs the question, why is there poor communication between agencies? Uh, And I I think part of it is pride. I I really do. I think, uh, you know, pride is biblical, let's face it. Shakespeare talked about pride. So pride's been around for a long time, as long as human beings have been walking around. And there's something called institutional pride. And there's nothing wrong with being proud of of your department or proud of your children or anything like that. The problem becomes when pride interrupts um, common sense and the ability to see things as they are. Um, You know, there's there's a book out, uh, about pride and ownership and, and, but it doesn't mean, and, and again, people have to realize that, you know, some things are good in moderation. Okay. They are, um, but, but pride can, can be a stumbling block to one of the most important things you can possibly have. And that's good communication. So, um, Egos sometimes get in the way. And politics often plays a role. And so what can you do? Well, I think that wherever there are communication problems, you have to speak out. You know, um, I was, uh, I believe it was in Scientific American. I, I believe it was. I was quoted in it about the FDNY. Um about i don't know 4 5 6 years ago about uh the, their communications and you know it was uh, New York has has issues and that that they've tried to address and it's difficult sometimes because of the, the way that New York is set up it's a huge city number 1 there are a lot of dead spots, um, all sorts of things. But New York is not the only town or not the only city, isn't it? It's definitely a city who has communication problems. You can go out uh, to any small town in the Midwest or in the South or Northwest, wherever, and oftentimes you're going to run into communication problems. It's not always the signal. Sometimes it's the people. And so if you have people who simply don't have any interest in trying to do what's right, and, and they're worried about their jobs or they're worried about their little fiefdoms and all, you know, you either have to change them or uh, you have to push them out of the way. I mean, you have to just push your way through, bull your way through, and it takes time, it does. Um, and, and it's not always gonna change. Uh, until people lose their lives, and and that's unfortunate. That that's the unfortunate part, and and hubris also hubris also plays a role. Uh, you know that's on display in in a couple of line of du- duty death reports and 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 other reports and and even own personal experiences is that some people just you know the hubris it kills people, it really does. So what's in the future? I believe that that as we continue to see a sort of unified command structure, um, I believe that we will see more and more, uh, or better and better, communications. But that's, that doesn't mean it's going to be in every place. Just because forty cities, and I'm I just brought that number up out of nowhere, but just because forty bigger cities are are you know have good communications doesn't mean that that trickles down nor does it mean that all those cities uh they may claim to have good communications with other agencies and things like that but they're still protecting uh, you know their budget and and their place in the world so what happens in the future well i think um actually that natural selection is going to take care of some of these issues uh, with respect to leadership and people who who uh you know, have a voice and who simply don't want to do anything with it. You know, I don't think there's anything worse than having a platform and not speaking up. To me, that's the very act of cowardice. It really is. It's an act of cowardice. And so, in closing, let me just say this. Communications are essential and these things will change. And people will become better at it. And organizations will have to change. And if they don't, then people will pay with their lives. And that's unfortunate. But again, that's where pride and hubris come in. But you know, there's also good news. Some places who said they would never change have already changed. Some places that were thought hopeless have become the leaders in the area. So it's not about the lack of uh, qualified people to do it. It's not about, you know, the inability to do it. It, It's all about getting the right person in there to force that change or to begin to force that change. And you know what? That is going to do it uh, for today's episode. And we will be back tomorrow with another episode. And I encourage you, we're on Twitter at Daring Safety. We we have a Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash daring safety. And you can come visit us on the website at daringsafety.com. You can contact me, J-A-Y, at daringsafety.com. Until next time, stay safe.